in the Tomche Tamimim Yeshiva, there was a mashpiad named Rabbi Michael. The older Hasidim remember who he was. As a young man, one of his children fell very ill, God forbid. The doctors gave up, saying there was nothing to be done. Rabbi Michael informed his fellow Hasidim of the situation. They encouraged him and strengthened his spirits. God would certainly have mercy, but he must go to Lubavitch immediately. They told them the Hasidim of the Rebbe. The Rebbe at that time was in Lubavitch. And his son was sick, very sick, his child. And he told him, go, Hashem will help you. It was in the middle of a Fabringen. Fabringen is a Hasidic gathering. They sit together and he started to cry and say, my son is very sick. He told him, go to Lubavitch, go to the Rebbe, ask for a blessing. Go ahead. Rabbi Michael cried bitterly. He really wanted to go to the Rebbe, but the doctor said there was only hours left. What point was there in going? And the elder Hasidim thundered at him. The Talmud says one must never give up hope for God's mercy. The interceding angels will certainly persuade God to hold the decision for you after you return from the Rebbe. They told him, he says, what going to the Rebbe? The doctor says it's a matter of hours. What going? I told him, what is this? You should never give up like this. You go to the Rebbe, Hashem will help you. The, the, the angels will protect, will protect your son until you go to the Rebbe and then you get the blessing. Everything will be good. Go, don't give up. Okay. Uh, one of his peers, a tailor, joined Rabbi Michael on the journey to Lubavitch. On the way, they found some cheap rides so they didn't have to walk the entire way on foot. In the olden days, they used to walk. They were poor people. They didn't have money to, to hire awesome buggy. But they found rides. They made it. Somehow, they made it to Lubavitch. Arriving in Lubavitch, Rabbi Michael managed to get an appointment immediately with the Rebbe. You see, getting an appointment with the Rebbe was not an easy thing, but probably because he came and he said his son is dead and he's almost dying, and he got in. When I went into the Rebbe, Rabbi Michael recalled, I gave him my prayer note for my child, and a thought crossed my mind at the moment. Who knows what is happening with my son? The doctors gave him just hours. I burst into tears. The Rebbe read the note and told me, Don't cry, it will be good. Don't wail, you will be at the bar mitzvahs of your grandchildren. Whenever things got difficult, said Rebbe Michael, and he did not have an easy time with his children, I would picture the Rebbe saying this to me, at that meeting, and my heart would feel... Better. As usual, they missed, they missed the translation of the most important line. Hmm. Don't cry. Think good, and it will be good. Hmm. From there is coming the story. Think good will be good. Everything will be good. You'll, you'll, you'll enjoy your grandchildren. Um, you'll be at the bar mitzvahs of your grandchildren. Right? And since then, every time when he was in a crisis, he used to think about the words of the Rebbe, what he told him, think good or be good. And as I mentioned yesterday, I remember I heard from the Rebbe once by a Fabringen, think good, it will for sure be good. The Rebbe said that in public to many, many Hasidim. And uh, this is a very encouraging thing. Now, what is behind this think good or be good? What is it? It's just a mantra, just a nice word. Where it's coming, what's the source of it? Then that's what you're going to learn. It's all coming from the Torah, as usual. Go ahead. The Rebbe. My father-in-law <clears throat> would respond to many questions with the saying of the Tzedek Tzedek. Think good and it will be good. There are people that are always interested in finding the sources for every statement, including this one. In fact, this saying has a clear source in the Zohar, which teaches that the joy a person expresses down below is reflected back to them from above. Okay. 
Uh, would you mind to close the door before all the kids show up and make noise here? Yeah. <laughs> would you mind to open the window a little bit? Thank you. <laughs> then uh, there is a... We, there are many people ask, where you took it? You took it's a nice psychological word, thing good to be good. What's the source in Judaism, in the Jewish text, for this statement? That the source for it is from the Zohar. The Zohar is the Bible of Kabbalah. This is the source for... Um, all the, that's the foundation for the whole Kabbalah, that the Zohar speaks about it. What, what is the Zohar saying? Want to continue? Source 2, Zohar Tzitzeva. Uh, heaven reflects back to earth its own state. When we display joy down here, heaven reflects back uh, yeah, yeah. to us. When we are sad, heaven responds in heaven. Okay, the, the Zohar says like this. The way the person <coughs> is, is happy... Is that, they bring happiness. God is your reflection. That's what the Zohar says. If you are happy, God brings you happiness. If you are judgmental and sad and in a bad mood, that's what you get back. It's all up to you. That's the source of the Zohar. Then it continues on the Tzemach Tzedek. Go ahead. I heard from the mouth of my saintly grandfather. The Tzemach Tzedek was the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, that his Rebbe was the Magid of Mezrich, the disciple of the Baal Shem Tov. Then the Tzemach Tzedek says that he heard from his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, in the name of his Rebbe. What he heard from him? Go ahead. In Vienna, this is what the Magid would say in the verse. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a man, a father. Well, I'll tell you what it says. There is a line in the Bible that describes the prophet Ezekiel, I think. It was there two places, Ezekiel and Isaiah. I think it's Ezekiel. I'm not sure, but I think it's Ezekiel. Says, he saw God. And he said, I saw on the throne, God sitting on the throne, the likeness of a, like a human being. Looks like a man. What does this mean? God is like a man. Then the Maggid of Mezrich says, likeness of you. The way you are, that's what you get back. It's the likeness of you. God is the likeness of you. God relates to every human being the way he relates to God. That's what the verse means. Then I saw what the prophet says. I saw on the, on the chair, on the throne, like, like the likeness of a human being from above. What, what we show down below is reflected above. What you show here in the physical world, we need to understand this physical world is a reflection of a higher level, of a spiritual world. Whatever happens here, it's because we are a reflection of a higher level. It means to say not that the above world is created by the down world, just the opposite. Whatever, we are a, an outcome of what goes on in the upper world. Then whenever you see a certain behavior of people, it's because that's where it goes, it goes in the heavens. That's the way the spiritual operation works. But it goes in the other direction too. The way I'm behaving to other people, the way I go around, that's the way it comes to me from above. So who's, I mean, when bad things like, like we just witnessed, who's doing the bad things upstairs? I mean, is God. That, Absolutely is, I mean, God. he's behaving like, you know, or is God just... is doing it, but at many times it comes as an outcome of a, of a human being's but, behavior. But... but a reflection. I, mean, I guess that's the wrong word. A reflection it's not a reflection. Is right, a reflection he's is the not, right one. He, but he's not evil. You know what I mean? It's there's a reflection so much of you. 
Right, but he. It just Let, let's make not sense go to the him. evil. Yeah, God is not evil. Why God is doing bad things? If I would be God, I would give you a good explanation. <laughs> but we don't understand why God is doing. You need to understand. Rabbi, but this is a well, one more second, second. I just want to make one more point, and then we we'll get you to talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no. One second. You know, if the fly on the wall. <laughs> no, no, we didn't say that you want to talk for an hour. I just I'll give you the time to talk for an hour. If you fly off the, off the wall, doesn't understand my decision, it means that I'm wrong. Mm-mm. The connection, the, the I'm closer to the fly of the wall than I'm closer to, than, than I'm in, in, the, in the relationship with God. The relationship between the fly and me, we are both creatures. We are both limited. We are both creatures of God. There is much more in common with me and the fly than with me and with God. That for me to try to understand God is ridiculous. When we will knock it into our heads, then we'll start to understand what, what means the relationship with God. We cannot understand God. Now, Mr. Luzinski, the floor is yours. <laughs> no, no, no. What you, what you just said, Rob, this is kind of like, we heard this before a long time, from left, right, above, and that what's happened... Uh, we had a Holocaust, and we had little Holocaust, like we can say it, like uh, just mm-hmm. recently, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the theories, it's like we don't know what, but Jews did something wrong. That's what they, they got punished because that's what you're saying. God is doing it, but we don't know why it's doing it. So it's some kind of like we we we. No, 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 we, no, no. Now you're putting a line a, a line in between in my in my in my sentence. I never said it. I said we don't know why it's good good doing it. We don't know. That's it. I never said, God forbid, that it's because somebody did something wrong. But God is doing I'm it. I'm just, God did it. Absolutely God did it. Why? God has a bigger picture. You know, when you walk into a, an operating room and you see how the doctor is coding somebody, you start to scream, it's, look, it's bleeding, it's coding. We have to stop it. Why family cannot be in the room in an operating room? Because they, they, cannot, they cannot control them, their feelings, their emotions. God has a bigger picture. God sees the whole history of the world. And he decided that this is the best way to do things for, for the people. Our job is to pray to God that whatever you decide, whatever you want to do, do it in a good that we can appreciate. Whatever God is doing, Judaism believes is for the good. It's good. But we ask from God, don't give us a good that you have to believe it's good. Give us a good that we can see, we can take it to the bank, we can see it's good. We have to believe it. What's happened? It's good. Is good. Everything is good. Yes. I mean, I understand. You don't have to. From, uh, from I will not force you. We, we believe that God is good with everything and for the good, good. But at the same time, uh, uh, yeah. But at the same time, if you don't understand, no, listen. It's you're you're absolutely right. If you don't understand, we are not trying to justify God and said, "Oh, that's great. That's unbelievable." If I don't understand, I said, "God, I don't understand. I know whatever you do is for the good, but I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Why are you doing it?" We are allowed to complain. We are allowed to, 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 to show our feelings. God actually doesn't want us to lie. To say, oh, that's great. No, we have a complaint to God. Why is that happening? But to say that we understand why, in the end of the day, is God. What do you need to do? He knows what's right and what's wrong. I, I, I pray to God it should be good. It should be a good that I can appreciate. But God forbid we don't justify it. We don't say it's because of anybody doing wrong. God forbid. We just say it's God is doing it. We don't understand why. We don't understand why. Why the Holocaust took place? We don't understand. But at the same time, what we typically see is a lot of the bad stuff that happens in the world. And that's what gets attention. 
What we don't see is all the really good things that are going on every single day locally, you know, across the country, across the world, it doesn't get covered. So I think we have to think in our heads to try to balance that out to say, well, what went on was just so horrific and disappointing and depressing. We also have to say there's probably a gazillion good things that have gone on we know nothing about because it doesn't get hit the news. Very good point. Thank Even you very much. The nature is to lock on to the negative, horrific stuff. Mm-hmm. And exactly, yeah. exactly, that's what we're trying to make a point, that a person should not concentrate on the negative, because when he concentrates on the negative, he brings, he brings upon himself more negativity. <coughs> and when he concentrates on the positive, he brings on himself more, more positivity. That's what it's all about, exactly, yeah. Thank you for making the point. And nobody remembers how much good we have in the world how much good we have. You're right, it was a terrible thing, but we are very... It doesn't take negate the, the, the negativity. I mean, there is negative, and it's sad, and it's depressing, but but still, even the negative, it's coming from God, and we pray to God, and we ask from God, should, whatever he's doing to us, he should bring us only good that we can appreciate. But, but we, we who say that, thank you very much for all the good things, we're the survivors. Right. The other people are now out of the picture. That's, they, that's from God. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's the difficulty. We are not saying it in their name. You understand? No, I understand. <laughs> we are saying, we, we see, we, are, we need to understand we are limited human beings. We cannot understand what is going on. We can understand. We're like coming in the middle of the movie, we see a little picture, and we make decisions. Oh, that's, it's like somebody falls off asleep in the middle of the movie, then he wakes up and tells his wife, well, why is he doing that? <coughs> Next time, don't sleep. Why is he doing Why is he doing that? Listen, watch the whole movie. And the subtitles are in a foreign language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> subtitles in a foreign language, exactly. Very good. <laughs> yeah, we live before the end of the movie and we want to understand everything. Okay, where are we? What we show down below is reflected above. Thank you. <clears throat> Therefore, Therefore, he enjoyed me not to sing a song to you. Oh, I'll tell you where, where, in what context was this story. The first Chabad Rebbe lived in Russia during the war with Napoleon. And he supported Russia against Napoleon. And because of that, he had to run away from Napoleon. And the, the armies came, and they were looking for him because they're the, this great rabbin is supporting Russia. And he was and he was traveling, he was traveling thousands of miles. It was a winter, it was a very cold winter. That's what called, killed Napoleon is the winter. And in this winter, he was traveling from August, and open in open uh, chariots, chariots, uh, all the way until uh, January. And he got very sick. And he, and he and he was in a in a in a, in a village. There was not one Jew there. And the villager was kind enough to give him the storage room of the village 300 years ago. You can understand. A rabbi of thousands and thousands and thousands of Hasidim was ending up. And he was ending up with his grandson. His children, his sons were, and one was stuck there and the other one was traveling. Every, and he was dying. And his grandson was davening Mary before his grandfather was dying. He was davening with a sad tune. That the grandfather tells him minutes, an hour before he died, don't sing a sad, a sad tune. This brings bad negativity. You understand? He was in a situation that was like the world is coming to an end. And this grandfather was, 
He's a great rabbi till today. Many, many, many thousands of people follow his rules and study his teachings. He wrote the Tanya, he wrote the, code of, the updated code of Jewish law, and so on and on and on. And he's dying. The only one who is there is his young grandfather, young grandson. And he, and he prayed the evening service in a sad tune. Then his grandfather tells him, that's not the way to do business here. You have to always be happy. And an hour later, he died. He passed away. Well, on a happy note. On a happy note, yeah. Therefore, I'm sorry. This occurred, uh, this occurred while I was praying the evening prayer on the night before he passed away. I was praying with a sad tune, and he waited for me to finish, and then told this to me. And then he told him to, to him, then the, way, the way you behave, the way God behaves to you, and the, the, uh, it's the reflection business. Okay. Now comes the real problem. Oh, Danny. No, 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 you read. Thank you. Thank you. How can we not fear? There are fears that the people cause themselves, fears that they have the choice and ability to prevent. This is evidence of, uh, from the fact that we are commanded not to have fear during war. As the verse says, You know, there is a, there is a mitzvah. In the Torah, when you go to war, you're not allowed to be afraid. The Torah tells you, don't be afraid. If you be afraid, you're in trouble. <laughs> but I'm afraid. How I may, how there is a commandment not to fear the enemy. But I'm, but I'm scared. What should I do? Go ahead, continue. Let your heart not be afraid. This seems incredible. <coughs> what if we are still afraid when they witness the scene of a war. It is known that the commandment can only be regarding things that we have the ability to choose, to follow, or to disobey. You can make a commandment, you can give somebody a commandment to do something or not to do something. But how could you make a commandment on feelings? That's an old question. Now you make a commandment somebody to love God. He loves them or he doesn't love them. You can say, I, I, can, I will obey him. I will do A, B, and C. I will say it. I will not say it. But to love a feeling? Can you call somebody, I want to love me? If you don't love me, I remember once a guy told another friend in Yeshiva, you have to love me. If not, I'll beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. And, uh, I, I mean, that was a disturbed uh, individual, obviously. <laughs> but in the, no, he became a... Religious, and he thought that everything goes, you know, if it's written in the Torah, you have to love me. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll force you to love me. And I was looking at it, I said, oh, we are in big trouble. You know? <laughs> I still remember that. But then, how can you tell a person, don't be afraid? Torah says, don't be scared, you. But here is the answer. Don't think or speak about fear. Go ahead. Don't think or speak about fear. There are three garments of the human soul. Thought, speech, and action. These are our primary behaviors, and we have free choice to think, speak, and act as we wish. Even if the heart is afraid, one can draw their thoughts, speech, and action away from that and not dwell on it altogether, but rather on uplifting matters. This is a commandment of let your heart not fear, not to dwell on the fear. A person who induces fear is in violation of a negative commandment. If one ignores it, the fear in their hearts will dissipate. At the very least, it will immediately become dormant, 
and over time it will completely dissipate and not renew. Yeah, you cannot sit and watch the news all day from <coughs> Israel and not be depressed, and then be surprised that you're depressed. The, the mitzvah is make sure you are occupied your mind with things that don't give you fear, then you will little by little you get over it. The same thing is, you should love your God. Then the question is, the Rebbe is asking the same question. How, how, you, how, how you can command somebody to love? Then think about what God is giving us, like Shimi just mentioned. Think about all the goods that we have. Then automatically, naturally, you'll start to love him. If, if, if you're all worried about the enemy, they have so many weapons and so many... Sure you're going to be afraid. Sure you're going to be scared. Stop thinking about it. Stop being busy with this. Clean up your mind from these negative thoughts. Then little by little, get better. What's even the better thing to do? Think about happy matters. Happy matter. Uh, the primary method of distracting the mind from fear is to redirect it to other matters. This can be mundane, happy matters, as well as Torah study, which gladdens the heart. By, by studying Torah every day, especially with study partner, in the areas of practical Jewish law, the esoteric part of Torah. It's not enough not to think negative. You must fill up. There is an empty spot. You understand? The Talmud says as a line, there is a, there is a pit. If you don't fill it up with water, snakes will come there. You understand? If it's empty, emptiness is a vacuum, is cause, pulls bad things in. Then if you, you, that's it. You don't think negative is nice. What's not enough because it's going to come back. You must fill up your mind with positive thoughts. The best with the things about Torah, things that make you happy. There was, I knew about uh, people used to go, to, they, they were sad people. They had a lot of t- tragedies in their life. They used to go to weddings. Just walk into weddings to strange, you know, in the religious community. You can go to, you can walk into the wedding. Nobody will tell you, oh, you have a ticket. <laughs> Where is your seat? What are you doing here? You won't be able to eat, but you'll be able to observe. <laughs> you can come to everywhere. And she, she made herself, I know, she made herself, made a point to go to weddings. And this may, you have to make yourself happy. And when the most important thing, fill up your mind. Learn positive things, learn Torah, learn other things. And this way you learn, you're busy with things. Therefore, people are very busy, have a much easier time to end life than people who, are, who don't have anything. Great scholars, they learn, they, they soak the mind. Then they, they're easier for them to handle life. Where other people who don't have, that's much harder for them. And that's what I say, especially you learn laws, practical Jewish law, that you learn, you have to keep mind, you have to think about that, how I do it, what I do, and I have to remember. There is so much Torah to learn that you'll never be bored, I can promise you this. Also, they say that it's, it's good to help somebody or take care of somebody, then it takes your mind Abs- off. Of your yeah, that's a, you're right, volunteering, helping others. The best therapy is being busy with others, is helping others, that you forget about your own souls. Suddenly your own souls are not so big. <laughs> you feel, besides, you feel good about yourself. You go, you help, you do. Yeah, absolutely. You should certainly not discuss. You certainly not discuss depressing matters. Act as if you are happy, completely happy, and even if you do not feel it now, you will ultimately become happy. Smile, but I don't, I'm not in the Muslim. You're smiling now, you start smiling. There goes your psychology business. You're done. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the that's famous song written by Charlie Chaplin, like, 
smile yeah. when you even though you're but, 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 smile even though you're Charlie even Chaplin you're I know Charlie Chaplin yeah he wrote a he wrote a song it was, it was Michael smile. Jackson's favorite song yeah smile yeah. smile even when you don't want to smile smile even when you don't want to smile okay yeah I remember to see the animated movies of Charlie Chaplin without a sound when I was four years old since then I remember that's the last time I saw Charlie Chaplin very famous yeah it's a very famous yeah yeah okay Baruch Hashem now we have Charlie Chaplin agrees with what the other Jewish boy. Oh, he's Jewish? Yeah. yeah. Sure? He got it from this? No, I didn't know that. I'll show you. I'll just Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Jewish. Also, there's a secular book on this. Uh, Dale Carnegie wrote a whole book on getting busy, staying busy, and it's a great book. Great. Go ahead, let finish, please. This is because the heart follows a person's action and deeds. As Maimonides writes, he should repeatedly perform the acts which conform to the standards of the golden meaning, I don't know what golden means. He should do this constantly until these acts are easy for him and do, do not present any difficulty. Then these character traits will become a permanent part of his personality. You do it so much, so many times, until it becomes a part of you. That's what it's all about. Then this is the proof from Kabbalah. Then the idea of thing good to be good is based on Kabbalah, based on a verse in the Bible that says that what, this, what, you, what, what the prophet saw, like, li, like a human being means like you, that's what you see in the above. Now there is even a story from the Bible that proves the whole idea of thing good to be good. Go ahead. Um, <coughs> while the esoteric Zohar doesn't carry legal authority, there is an additional source for this approach in the revealed dimension of we know the story about that's right in the beginning of the book of Exodus Moses came out he was growing up by Pharaoh's house right he came out one day and he saw how an Egyptian policeman wants to kill a Jew and he killed him right a famous story that's the story we're going to learn go ahead I'm sorry um, it came to pass in those days that Moses grew up and went out to his brothers and uh, looked at their uh, burdens he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man, his brother. Moses turned this way and, um, and that way, and he saw that there was no one watching. So he struck the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Yeah, he killed him. Simple. <coughs> uh, striking a Hebrew man, hitting and whipping him, the victim was the um, husband of Shlomit Bat Divri. Uh, who the Egyptian had laid his eyes on. At night, the Egyptian summoned uh, Shlomit's husband from his house and entered um, and lay with his wife, uh, who thought it was her husband. The husband came back and realized what happened. After the Egyptian realized that uh, he had been exposed, he um, would whip and beat the husband all day. He wanted to kill the guy who, who knows the secret. He went and he had relations with his wife. And he wanted to kill him. Moses showed up, saw what's going on. He killed the Egyptian. Right? Okay. Moses saved a Jewish person. The first day he came out to see how his brothers are doing. When he grew up and he wanted to see, to feel, he knew that he, his Jewish brothers, the slaves are his brothers. He wanted to help them. That's what he saw. That was happened the first day. Okay, please. Moses went out on the second day and behold, two Hebrew men were quarreling. He said to the wicked one, why are you going to strike your friend? He saw two Jews are fighting. He says, why are you doing it for heaven's sake? Why are you, why are you beating up your brother? Go ahead. He retorted, 
Who made you a man, a prince, and a judge over us? Do you plan to slay me like you slayed the Egyptian? Moses became afraid and said, Indeed, the matter has become known. Oh, the, the guy told them, ah, What do you think, you're the boss here? You're the new boss here? You're telling people what to do? What do you think, we don't know that you killed the Egyptian policeman? He saved the Jew from an Egyptian policeman. He risked his life to kill an Egyptian policeman in 1940 in Berlin. Think about it. I'm like a German, like an SS guy. Moses can, he cannot do whatever he wants. And he did it to save the Jewish brother, his Jewish brother, that the Jews throw them straight in his face. What do you think, you're the boss here? You think we don't know what you did? And Moses got scared and said, oh, the matter is known. Okay, continue. Please. Pharaoh heard of this incident and he sought to slay Moses. And Moses fled from before Pharaoh. He stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by the well. See what's going on here? Mo- the next day, Pharaoh heard about it. It was reported. Some good Jew did the job. Reported to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wanted to, Moses deserved the death sentence. Moses had to run away to Midian for 40 years or 60 years. He had to run away because he had a death sentence. He was wanted in Egypt. And only came back to Egypt when God told them, the people, the death sentence is over. This Pharaoh is gone. He can go back to Egypt. Okay. Rashi. Moses became afraid, as its plain meaning would indicate. There is also a Midrashic interpretation that Moses saw such lowly people among the Jews that he feared they weren't worthy of redemption. Indeed, the matter has become known. As its plain meaning would indicate, there is also a Midrashic interpretation. I now know what I have pondered over and what sin did the Jews do to be deserving such treatment. Now I see they deserve it. Because they are, they are informers on each other. They are not loyal to each other. They don't care for each other. But now comes the real question. Go ahead. What's the problem? Go ahead, please. We need to understand why Rashi needs to comment, as its plain meaning would indicate. The meaning seems self-understood, even with a beginner school child. Before telling the Egyptian officer the previous day, Moses had looked to both sides to confirm that no one was watching. After killing the Egyptian, he buried the body in the sand. So it's very clear that when he now realizes that everyone knows what he did, he's afraid and says, indeed, the matter has been exposed. So what is Rashi trying to explain? <coughs> What's the problem? That's what you soon will understand what, 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 what really the problem is. The reason for Moses' fear. Please. Uh, Rashi here is addressing a different question. The commentators explain that the reason why Moses fled Egypt was because Pharaoh heard what he had done and wanted to come. This raises the question of why the Torah tells us that Moses was afraid when he realized that word had gotten out. This wasn't what caused him to flee. The reason why Moses fled was that he was afraid of Pharaoh, and he would have fled even if only Pharaoh had heard of the matter. Hadn't be- the fled even if only Pharaoh had heard the matter hadn't become public knowledge. And if it was the reverse, that the matter had become public knowledge, but Pharaoh was unaware of it, Moses wouldn't have fled. His flight was because of Pharaoh. This raises the question of why the Torah sees it necessary the question is simple. This line, that Moses was killed and he said, oh, the matter became known, is not, doesn't help anything to the story. 
The Bible writes only things that need to be known. The, the, the main story. If you take out this line and you say, and Moses, he said, and, and without the line, Moses was afraid, and you continue, and, and you continue later with the story, and, and Pharaoh wanted to kill him, and that's why Moses, Moses fled because Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Not because he was afraid, not because the matter was known. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Why the Torah writes this line? And he was killed, he was afraid, and he says, indeed, the matter became known. Who cares? This line is completely not necessary. That's the question that you have on, 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 this, on this story. There was this earlier, we've had this Midrashic. That's a Midrashic. The point is, this line is, is not necessary for the whole story. The story would be a perfect story without this line. Go ahead. So the idea of the going back to being afraid and not to be afraid. Oh, this is fear at this time was something that he should never have been, that he should be fearful of Pharaoh. Uh, uh, I mean, the thing is, it's a war. For we, we, that, that's, that, that, that's what we are going to read now. The result of fear. It's exactly this, yes. The answer must be that had Moses not been afraid, Pharaoh would never have found out. Think good. Moses said, Oh, oy vey, I'm afraid. Now it's known. Moses was afraid, number one in his heart, and he said, Achen no the, known is, uh, the matter became known. If Moses wouldn't be afraid, and he wouldn't even speak, and it wasn't that, speak about it, Pharaoh would know. If Moses would think good, nothing would happen. Moses had to be positive. Nobody's going to know about that. Don't but worry it was about it. already known, right? Because one person no, that means why was Moses afraid? He was afraid that it would be known to whom? To Pharaoh. To the authorities. But you already said that they reported it to him. No. Maybe they reported it because... No, they did re- because after he was afraid, they reported no, them. Because he was afraid, they reported yeah. them. Then the Torah wants to teach us here, <clears throat> all the problems came of Moses' negativity. If Moses wouldn't be afraid, and he wouldn't say, oh, the matter is being known. What you say as an effect? How much more? What you think as an effect? What you say even a bigger effect? Because Moses said that. That's what the Torah wants to teach us. Even in this story, Moses, the perfect human being who lived under the years, we don't have any greater person than Moses ever. The Torah said, Torah testifies, there was never a person like Moses, never will be. And even him, he learned from him what what was the problem. He was afraid. That was number one, and he said it. And because of this. He created a reality that it should happen. If he wouldn't give the, the possibility for this reality, it wouldn't happen. It's very hard to control yourself, not to fear, not to protect, predict bad. Very, very hard. It's a discipline. It's something that you have to learn to do it again and again and again and again. Just like yoga. But this is yoga without putting your tunnel in your mouth. It's much easier. It's... Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Think good and it will be good. <laughs> Moses should have trusted that no Jew would report on him. Word wouldn't spread and Pharaoh wouldn't find out. Rabbi, when uh, we'll feel bad, we'll uh, like, make a picture that you just made. And then, we'll go <laughs> 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 then if he, Moses wouldn't say it, it wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't take place. It wouldn't, Moses would have to say to himself, Jews will never will never report me. It's never it's never going to happen. I don't I don't believe somebody can do such a thing. And this alone that his belief would be like this would make it. The moment he gave in his mind the possibility for such a thing to happen, that's why it happened.
And the power of speech, we learn now. Continue. The power of speech. In Israel, evil speech was called triple speech, because evil speech kills evil three. Evil speech means loshenore, gossip. The party who shares it, the party that listens to it, and the subject of the speech. We spoke about that last week, if you remember. <laughs> then there is the three. When, some, when I speak to him about him, about then I suffer from it, he suffers from it, and he suffers from it. I suffer because I speak bad. I, I speak gossip at the scene. He suffers because he listens. If I wouldn't talk, he, if he wouldn't listen, I wouldn't have anybody to talk. I'm not talking to the walls. And but why should he suffer from that? That's a question. So does the say, does it does it go the other way too? Yeah, so what do you mean the other way? So what if do you, mean you the other speak way? well of someone, you absolutely, influence someone else and then you absolutely the yes. If you speak good about somebody, you bring out the best of him. That's why the Rebbe was so busy speaking good about people, because speaking about good, you know, this person is really a nice person. Saying it, you influencing his nice. You bring out his better his better part of him. Yes. 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 Go ahead. It is understood how evil speech harms the speaker and the listener because both participate in the sin. This is such a severe sin that the sages liken it to idolatry, adultery, and murder combined. However, why is the subject of their conversation blameworthy? He did not participate in the sin. Why should he suffer? The explanation is that speech brings to the fore that which was concealed. Thus, when speaking ill of another, we bring their ill to the fore and can cause them harm as a result. If it wouldn't have been spoken about, it may have remained hidden and not have negative effects. Then you don't want people should speak about you negative because it can affect you. It brings out the worst in the person that you speak about. And if you speak good, obviously, sure. It's even, even more influential. Yeah, everything in the good is better than more. Why is the subject blameworthy, though? Because you created something that people <coughs> speak about you. <laughs> you made enough people nervous that they speak about you. You showed off. You wrote people, people the wrong way. Don't, be, don't spread yourself all over the synagogue and everything will be good. You know what I mean? Like, that's why people, righteous people, don't want people to... They, whatever they do, they do in such a secret way. They don't want anybody to talk about them. They, they just don't need it. What do you want to say? We all should have a good review on Google, right? This is what it is, basically. <laughs> a review about somebody else. Yeah. This, this, is, this is like thinking about the evil eye. That if you do something, expose something, that you're going to be exposed. Because a world, if a human being has an effect in the world. Yeah. And by, by me saying bad things about somebody, this guy is so evil, he's so bad, he's so mean, it brings out it. It brings it out. So if everybody were to call people who are doing bad acts wonderful people... They would become one. I'm not talking about. First of all, we can help it. Yeah, we can help it. No. But, <laughs> but I know he woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give him a look. But, but I'm not talking about. If, don't take it right away to the to the Nazis and to Hamas. I'm talking about you and your friend and your brother and your cousin. Decent people. We, yeah. You're never going to make everybody happy, right? Is that, no, nobody can make everybody I'm not, happy. So there'll always be somebody that thinks you're bad. Even if you're not. You're right. Listen, we are not busy on making everybody happy. Mm. We are talking about the effect of, I'm talking about myself, not about pleasing him. He should not speak bad things about me. I'm talking about me speaking good about others and not speaking bad. I, we cannot control other people's thinking, speech, and action. The ability we can control is ourselves. We can only lead by example. I'm talking about myself. When I speak good about a person, I know I bring out the best of him. When I speak, when you expect good from a child, you'll get good result. 
when you expect bad from my child, you will, accept, you will get good, bad result. You can see it time and again and again. And that's what it's about us. We can, no, you cannot see the whole life, I want to make sure I'm not making him upset, he shouldn't speak bad, you go crazy. No, God forbid, don't be busy with others. Be busy with ourselves. I should be a decent human being, do the right thing what Hashem wants. The rest is up to God. And we can only lead by example. Miriam is there, was at the end, a few weeks ago. A mother, you know, the mothers of young children, they force the children to say goodbye to the teacher even if he doesn't want to because it's the right thing to do. Then and she, one mother turns to me and says, I'm, I forced my child, I'm not going home. And then Miriam tells him, I agree with you, child. Don't tell him what to do. You can only lead by example. Shine. She gave up. She said, I disagree with you, but she turns to the teacher saying, goodbye, Mora, this. The boy turns around, goodbye, Mora. <laughs> and this part, it was proven. It's all by example. That's the only thing we can do. The rest is nonsense. We can only be an example for, our, for anybody around us. The, the rabbi was an example, and he spoke about it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And I saw it in many, many cases, and there is, wherever I go, it's, it's, it jumps in your eyes. Okay, go ahead. The Rebbe, the problem was compounded by the fact that Moses expressed his fear verbally and didn't just leave it in the realm of thought. First of all, the thought of negative is bad, and then he said it. Go ahead. Don't say it. Don't say it. Tayom Yom quotes a teaching of the Baal Shem on this theme. The Talmud says that evil speech harms three people, the speaker, the listener, and the subject. It's clear why the speaker and listener should be harmed by this. They could have avoided being parties to the evil speech. But why should it have a negative effect on the subject? They didn't play any role in the evil speech. Val Shemtov explains that when negative aspects of a person are discussed verbally, this brings them to the fore and they can no longer be ignored. This is why evil speech affects the subject as well, because their negative aspects have been revealed. Similarly, in our case, had Moses' Moses's fear remained in his mind, Pharaoh wouldn't have heard about his actions. But since Moses expressed his fear verbally, it eventually reached Pharaoh's ears. It means to say like this, that until now, the person has a bad part of him, but it's dormant. Speaking about it brings it out. This is what Rashi is teaching us with his comment. As its plain meaning would indicate, Moses should have thought positively, and it would have worked out positively. But he didn't do so, and even expressed his fear verbally, with the result that Pharaoh heard what happened. And that's why Pharaoh heard. That's why the Torah writes, Moses was afraid what happened in his heart, and he said the matter was, became known. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The last, the rabbi. And now, not only the Zohar says it, not only it's written kind in the book of Ezekiel, it's a story with Moses that even Moses, if he wouldn't be negative about it, it would never happen. Could never happen. Could be, then would never happen. The effect of positive thought. The lesson we can learn from this is that our soul descended into this world where it faces various <coughs> impediments to observance of Torah mitzvot. We shouldn't think that we lack the ability to overcome these difficulties. We need to think good, and it will be good. We need to be confident that we have the power to overcome the impediments, and then we will be able to. If you would be, if you would think about, you can never do it. Nothing would be accomplished. It'll never happen. That's a no. I remember we were looking for a property first for this property, but 23 years ago, 
some devel- big developer, Jewish developer in Solon, told us there is no properties in Solon. What do you think about this? There's no properties in Solon. Mm. Everything Solon is taken. If I would listen to him, the good mm. news was I didn't understand English. <laughs> <laughs> you misunderstand. There are lots of properties in Solon. <laughs> then people don't know it's ever going to happen. Why are you listening to this kind of nonsense? But the what people tell you, it's not going to work. I don't need them. For this, I need you. Hmm. Oh, it's never going to be. A, some, my bad ones told me, and he was in China, it's, it's my, that somebody else told them it's never going to work to make a minion. I told them, you're talking to somebody who never was able to make a minion and you're giving, taking advice from him. Hmm. You, don't, you don't listen to, and to negative advice. I don't need advisors. That's why I have my own. My own negativity is plenty. It's big. Hmm. The bo- bucket is full. If you tell me something positive, something good, I hear you. Oh, this sickness, oh, this is terrible. There's no cure for it, really. Thank you very much. <laughs> very helpful. Okay. I'm sorry, I stopped in the middle. When we Some... think good, it will be good. Beautiful. Hmm. On the account of uh, four things. Now we're talking about what happened in, in Egypt, something very interesting. Go ahead. On the account of four things, our ancestors were freed from Egypt. They did not change their names. They did not change their language. They did not change, uh, they did not speak evil speech. None of them engaged in licentious uh, activity. Basically, like this, the Talmud says when the Jewish people in Egypt, they were not tzaddikim, not religious, but they didn't change their names. Goldberg became, was to continue Goldberg, just like, you know, the guys from the Ippis, the whole of the Jewish names, like the leaders of the. Alan Goldberg, what was his name? Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman, Hoffman and uh, other guys. Yeah, all these guys. They were Jewish guys. They had the Jewish names. They were part of the Jewish names. And they spoke the language, the, the, the only tongue Hebrew, they spoke Hebrew in, in Egypt, even in Egypt. They didn't speak gossip on each other in general. That's what the message says. And they, and they, were, and they were not uh, engaging with, with the Egyptian woman and things like this. Okay, continue. They did not change their names. They descended from Egypt. As to Egypt. To, um, yeah, to Egypt as Reuben and Shimon, and they came out as Reuben and Shimon. They came to Egypt with the Jewish names, and they came out from Egypt with the Jewish names. They never changed their names to American names, to Russian names, to other names. They kept the Jewish names. Go ahead. Yehuda was not called Rafa, and was not called Luliani. Luliani. Joseph was not called. Alexandra. Basically, they kept the Jewish, the Jewish names. What's, what do you learn from this concept? That they went, then the Rebbe points out, they went down to Egypt with the Jewish name, and they came out with the Jewish names. What lays in the world they went down to Egypt with the Jewish name? Go ahead. I mean, Danny, you want to continue? The Medrash comments. The comments on the name of the tribe that descended to Egypt as Reuben and Shimon. And they came out as Reuben and Shimon. The point, of, uh, point the Midrash is trying to make is that they left Egypt as a Reuben and Shemesh, so why does it mention the fact that they went down as Reuben and Shemesh? The, the, the Midrash wants to make a point that even when they left Egypt with the same Jewish name, then why is the, the Midrash says they went down with the Jewish name? They went down, everybody knows they went down with the Jewish name. That's clear. It's written in the Bible. That's normal. They came to Egypt as Jews. What the Midrash want? What the Midrash want to tell us? They want to tell us something here. The answer is 
The answer is that in the Asugas, they descended to Egypt when Shimon, it was immediately clear that clear to them that they would come out as ruin in Shimon. Immediately upon the descending into exile, we need to fully confident and we will come out intact. Let's stop right here. They understood when they came down to Egypt, they said, we are here for a temporary while. We are not going to assimilate. We are going to come out with the same names. They came with an attitude that it's a temporary thing. We're going to keep our Jewish identity and we're going to go out. The way you set the tone, the way you start, that's how it comes out. That's, that's what I mean. It's the attitude from the beginning, what is going to happen. And, and that's what you, you set your expectations. And that's what you can, if they would be, oh, everybody's going to assimilate. That's for, forget it. That's over. Then it's going to be over. Your expectation, that's what, that's what matters more than everything. Go ahead. We have, uh, in fact, we have the power to achieve this. When God sends us into exile, we know that we have the power. We have the power. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't have been sent there. We certainly have the ability to overcome exile. And no Jew will be left behind when the Mashiach comes and returns us all, young and old, and to and redemption very soon in our time. It means to say, a Jew has to know if he goes to exile, he goes to a place, he goes there, he has the strength and the ability and the power to come out from there as a complete Jew. And if, you ever, if your expectations is, oh, it's never going to work. You, I hear so many people, oh, it's, going, it's never going to work. It's, uh, Jewish people assimilate. They already gave up. Before they start, they already gave up. And the wrong business, they don't give up so fast. And Judaism, they give up very fast. Oh, it's not going to work. Uh, what do you mean it's not going? It would be your business. You wouldn't give up so fast. <coughs> That's a problem. Why, why, do, why do Jews give up so quick? Because um, it's a good excuse. It's much easier. Yes, it's, it's great. Then I don't have to do anything. <laughs> but should I fight the world? It's, it's over. Forget about it. It's never going to work. Sure, it's easy. You think that's unique to Judaism? Listen, I didn't interview non-Jews. I know about Jews. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is what people do. It's easy to give up. It's easy. And, and, but no, but what makes me nervous about their own businesses, they don't give up. They fight and they make billions of dollars. Comes to Judaism, oh, it's never going to work. What is this? If it would be your business, Judaism, you wouldn't give up so fast. We don't give up. We're going to make it work, and it's going to work. And it's going to work in Israel, and it's going to work in the United States, and Jews will be Jews in a thousand years from now. That's what we need to understand. That's the attitude has to be. And only then it's going to work. So that's how we've survived. Yeah, the people who survived were <coughs> the people who, thinking, who didn't give up, who were thinking positive. Uh, they came down as Reuven and Shimon. Rabbi, it's context of not to have negative thoughts. When, uh, in context of what's happening, his uh, wishes of uh, vengeance and that people who need to pay for what they did, can you wish them, can it be considered positive, not negative, you, if you wish them uh, destruction? <laughs> Go ahead, in the book of Psalms, King David is wishing his enemies everything. You, can, you read enough Psalms, you'll see he's wishing them much more negative things that you, are, you can even imagine. He has better, better expressions and better lines. But it's not considered... Uh, I mean, the question is, what you, in, in which part you want to be... The main attitude has to be, 
There is a war in Israel. We're going to win the war. No matter what will happen. We're going to win it and we'll put them in the place and we'll get rid of them and we'll eradicate evil. But you, more, the more attitude has to be about us, about being strong, and you want to wish them a, a hell, go ahead, enjoy. I will not stop you. <laughs> Is it considered a positive thought? That's, that's where I'm going, you know, I, because... I know. Uh, Let's he, take a he, survey. Is wishing the enemies uh, mm-hmm. they should die and we should mm-hmm. be burned alive is a positive thought? I don't know. I will not tell you not to take glory. I don't that's it. I agree with you. I'm, I'm on the same page. <laughs> All the enemies... You want to read a good book? There's a book called The Wrong Jew. You ever see it? The Wrong Jew? Oh, I the need to know Jew. that. It's written by this guy who was a journalist. He was in the IDF. And he lived in Israel. He's got dual citizenship. Um, it's a really, it's a good book. It's called The Wrong Jew. You could probably read it in one what's the What's the point? Tell me in one line. The point is that as Jews, you can't be passive and wait for people to come after you. Like you have to be productive and you have to do what you need to do in order to go forward, in order to survive. The Rebbe has a video on that. He comes out and he says, what do you do when people are saying we want to murder you? And he says... Get up earlier and men before them. Absolutely. And murder them first. You're right. That's because it will be, be a minute, right. be a minute too late. It's in the Torah. It's right. in the text. Yeah. The he talks about like, like shuls, though. Like when you have, you know, policemen and whatever, and you're, you're not going to know who these people are who are coming. They could look dressed like me. So it's the mindset of you know they're out there. You know. Now you're you know. skinning everybody. No, I mean. Yeah, the, the, the goal is not to, to be passive. That's true, but the goal is to be, we're going to make it, it's going to work, we'll continue to be Jewish in America, everything will be good. Let's read the last time. What, what is the attitude now? The Yom Kippur War. After Yom Kippur War, the Rebbe gave this message. The Rebbe, Hasidic Fabregen during a war. We must first address the question, how can we be holding a Hasidic Fabregen? A gathering, a yeah, a Jewish gathering. Go ahead. Yes. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Baldichev uh, writes that the Baal Shem Tov would constantly teach publicly that the verse God is your shadow means that God acts like our <coughs> shadow, reflecting the moves we make. The way we conduct ourselves dictates how God acts towards us. God is our shadow. The way you behave, that's your shadow you get back. Go ahead. This is also taught in the Zohar. The way we present our face here is the way God presents himself to us from above. When we exhibit a joyful countenance, God shows us a joyful countenance from above. The Zohar continues on the theme in further detail. It is therefore clear that the way we can be of help at this time is by exhibiting joy, as joy has the power to break through all boundaries. The Rabbi said that the best way to get the blessings from God is to celebrate and be joyful and not to get depressed because of the world. It was Yom Kippur war. And the same is true now. Somebody asked me, they want to do, they're doing a party today, a big party. Should they cancel the dancing? I said, no, don't cancel anything. Judaism, Jewish, that's what they want to accomplish. We should get depressed. We joy, God loves joy. You love your children when they are happy? You love to be around happy people? Who does like, another miserable person, you want to sit next to him. He sits and comes in, I have my own service, I need your service. <laughs> you want to see about somebody who makes jokes and he's happy and he's exciting? God also wants to be around happy people. That brings us up with more happiness. We have to continue to be happy and excited. And God willing, we'll win every war. We'll continue. We'll celebrate a thousand years from now with Moshiach. God willing. Thank you all for joining.